Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools, designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supplier for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. Those techniques don't, well, they're the same, no matter which bats you have. So there's a lot that can be exchanged between all those people. That's Nils Bouillard talking about his big bat year, and we'll be talking to Nils later on in the show. But first, we're speaking with Craig Dunton from the Bat Conservation Trust, who's leading the bat element of the Back from the Brink project. I'm Steve Rowe, and this is Bat Chat. So it's the Sunday morning of the National Bat Conference, and it's the first coffee break of the day. And it's a lovely sunny day, and Craig and myself are sat outside by the fountain, which is the noise in the background. Now, Craig is the BCT's project manager for the Back for the Brink project. Craig, the BCT website says that the Back for the Brink project is one of the most ambitious conservation projects ever undertaken, which is quite a claim. What, why is that? Why is it such an ambitious project? Um, I think it's probably a combination of, um, you know, it's, it's ambition to save um, 100 priority threatened species um, that are on the brink of extinction um, to get those in a recovering position by 2020. That's quite an ambitious um, target but also the, the nature of the partnership. It's a partnership between Natural England and Rethink Nature. So there's seven sort of leading conservation organisations involved. So working in a collaborative way is kind of the, the target, and that is quite an ambitious uh, thing to, to try and undertake. And then the project's got to be finished by 2020, you say. So how long has that project been running for? So my project, um, so different um, projects within the programme have got different sort of life, lifespans, essentially. My project started in 2017, um, in the summer, and I've got until early 2021. And we should say what the species is. What, what is the species? Assuming it's the bat, which one is it? So it's the grey long-eared. Um, yeah, it's uh, one of um, England's most rare mammals, very much restricted to the south coast, as I'm sure a lot of um, listeners will be aware. Well, I shouldn't say the south coast, I should say the south of the country, but most of the population is along the south coast. And who developed the project to start off with? Who were the stakeholders involved? Um, BCT were obviously a, a, a key stakeholder. Probably, yeah, Carol Williams was a, a sort of driving force behind it all. The project's been ongoing for all that time and there's been all sorts of survey work done. What so far has the project told us about Grey Long Gears? I think probably, probably one of the main things that it's highlighted is that um, it is very rare. Um, it's, you know, we've been raising awareness um, about the species um, amongst consultants, um, back groups. And we have picked up new records and we have picked up a new roost. But it's kind of, they are very sporadic and they're usually very low numbers or single bats. And what's the estimated population size of grey long at the moment? So the current estimates are around 1,000, um, according to the last year's 2018 mammal review. And how many roosts do we know of at the moment? So maternity colonies, it's around nine. It's 
it's one of those species that's uh, it's tricky to quite often tricky to say whether it is actually a maternity roost because a lot of the maternity roosts are such such low numbers of bats what makes grey long-eared bats so special why are people so interested in them i don't know i, I guess uh, partly it's the rarity um it's you know they they are really charismatic species um one of our two long-eared species um they're just i mean they're just amazing aren't they they're just super cute um they have you know this very distinctive um sort of uh dog-like muzzle or horse-like muzzle as some some consultants would like to say so it's uh yeah it's just a, an amazing bat for listeners at home who don't know that much about the ecology of the species can you just give us some idea of that where do the roosts uh, what sort of things are they roosting what habitats do they need things like that okay yeah so uh like for all um of our uk bat species there's kind of um i like to think sort of three core things that bats need um their roosting sites their foraging sites and good connectivity in the landscape um, to allow them to get from one to the other so in terms of summer uh, maternity roosts these are traditionally in um, sort of big stone buildings um, with slate roofs um, they like big open spaces um, generally pretty warm for foraging um, through radio tracking studies and uh, general sort of observations their favored foraging habitat is species rich grasslands so wildflower meadows um, but also riparian habitats and then obviously um, good connectivity in the landscape usually comes in the form of hedgerows and other linear features essentially and you mentioned connectivity there and that's something that we're told again and again is really important for bat populations across the uk is the project looking to work with stakeholders and landowners to improve that connectivity yeah absolutely so one of my key roles is um, landowner engagement so talking to farmers and other landowners about the way they manage their land um, and good hedgerow management and um, trying to create and maintain good good quality connectivity is a big part of that and how realistic is it to expect grey longers to expand from their current population size and to recover to something that we think is a more stable population size is, is that something that is actually going to be realistic uh, i'd like to hope so <laughs> um, so obviously impacts of climate change are going to be um the, the models are that this the species will be shifting northwards so uh, a key part of the project is to make sure that when that range is under pressure to move northwards, that there's good quality habitat there um, for it to move into. And if people want to know more about the project, where's the best place for them to go and find out more information from? Yeah, uh, so um, the Back from the Brink website is probably the best place. Um, there's a, a grey long eared page and there's links to it from the BCT website as well. And what was it that wanted to make you get involved in this project? What's your background and, and what's made you so interested in it? So I've, I guess I've always been interested in, in bats and, and wildlife in general. My background is land management. Um, I've been working on a landscape scale conservation project uh, sort of alongside this project. Um, so that's kind of uh, where my background comes in. My, my passion is to create more diverse habitats within the landscape to create that connectivity for, for biodiversity to be able to move through. And finally, which three words would you use to describe the bat conservation movement? I guess um, dynamic, um, fast-moving and passionate. Craig, thank you very much. No worries. Good to talk to you. And you can read more about the project and learn what other species the project is bringing back from the brink by going to their website, which is included in the show notes. And next is something to remind us that bat conservation isn't just for the UK. Today I've come to the Bat Conservation Trust offices in London where Nils Bouillard is also visiting and is about to give a talk about his big batch year to the BCT staff.
Today I've come to BCT's offices in London to meet a 22-year-old who describes himself as a bat fanatic, a recent ecology master student. Nils Buyard is from Belgium and is visiting as many countries as he can in something he's calling the Big Bat Year. Nils, it's a pleasure to meet you. What on earth is the Big Bat Year? <laughs> so Big Bat Year is, um, so I've taken a concept that many bird watchers know of. It's trying to see as many species as possible during calendar year. Now many people do it in their country because it's easier and cheaper but some people have taken the concept a lot further and traveled the, the entire world to do that and I quite like the fact that they uh, sort of attracted a lot of attention and they used that attention to raise awareness on conservation so I thought it would be a nice way to raise awareness on conservation of bats using a completely different approach because no one's ever done that before <laughs> it's too crazy okay so objectives Visiting as many countries, see as many species, and then using that yeah, to raise. Yeah, it's actually only visiting, uh, only seeing as many species. So I have to like really pick and choose my countries. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, there are many countries that I skip because it's just no point. Okay. And also, there's the environment. Yeah. So <laughs> how already bad enough? So how does this relate to the conservation of bats? So um, m m most people who are into bats in Europe, they, they know what's going on with bat conservation in Europe. But elsewhere, well, I've met many people who think there's nothing going on and that it's hell. And while it mostly is, there is actually a lot going on. And I think local back groups there also deserve their spotlight. And um, there are things that I've sort of experienced and learned about that I had no idea. For example, the impact of religion on both bat hunting and bat conservation mm -hmm. because some religions hunt bats other ones protect them and when they coexist it, it, you've got that l weird mix um, and I, I saw that firsthand in, uh, in Sulawesi, Indonesia and it's it, something I probably would never have learned about Okay, so when did your passion for bats begin? Um, I've always loved wildlife uh, even when I was three I think in kindergarten uh, I was given the nickname Friend of the Animals. It was in Dutch because I was in, in, in a Dutch kindergarten. But um, yeah. Um, and then I, I got seriously into bird watching. And one day we were invited by um, a bat group in Belgium to participate to a bat survey. And I just, yeah, fell in love with the bats then. <laughs> and you say on your website that you've always greatly valued the importance of interaction with the public. How do you intend to show everyone how important bats are through through the Big Bat Year? So, um, first thing I do is use social media. Um, with things like Facebook and Instagram, you can really reach a lot of people very easily. Um, people who may not really be into bats, but when you show them a cute picture of bats, it actually can change their mind on bats. Mm -hmm. um, because mostly what they see about bats is what supermarkets sell Halloween and it's quite different from what bats really are and they also have a website where I share obviously um, sort of a more in-depth content and then uh, well I, I plan to do a few more talks I had one last night for the London Bat Group but also intend to give some to non-bat groups and stuff yeah like that. so you're here for a couple of days in the UK you plan on seeing any species here or is it just a, a PR exercise being over here uh, it was Mostly like a short trip with my parents, but then I thought I might as well give some talks. And I was planning on getting the soprano pipistrelle, which is fairly common in the UK. Mm -hmm. 
which is not the case in Belgium. I did not get it because I'm, I just wasn't in the right area. And what's the current bat species tally that you're on at the moment? It's 229. 229. Yeah. Not at all jealous. <laughs> and what's been the best species you've seen so far and why? The best species I've seen... So, oh, wow, that's a tricky one. <laughs> okay, I've seen a lot of really good ones. Um, but I'd say the ones that make the most people jealous, because I feel that's an objective way of saying it's a good one, are the painted bat, so Kiribati yeah. Pikta in Thailand, the bumblebee bat, which is the smallest bat and the smallest mammal on Earth. Um, the hairy-legged vampire bat, Diffila Ecorata, which also happens to be one of my favorite bats. I used it for my logo, actually. Mm -hmm. The face is, is Diffila. Um, and then there are also some species that I really like. There's one that I photographed, and I'm pretty sure they're amongst the, the first photographs published online. Mm -hmm. It's a flying fox, a serum flying fox, I think, Deminki. Um, or Temmings flying fox, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know uh, common names. And then there's also that species I discovered in West Papua. Doesn't have a name, but it's I love that cool. you just casually dropped in, discovered a new species. Yeah. <laughs> well, in Indonesia, for bats, it's actually not that hard. <laughs> the hard bit is getting a permit afterwards to describe it. It's, it's tricky. So tell us a bit more about that species you discovered then. Yeah, so I was... Um, in West Papua, there's very little research. I, I learned few weeks ago that there's actually a lot more than I thought, but it's only published in Indonesia in a local journal, so yeah, not really accessible. Um, but I was in an area that's well known to birdwatchers, that's why I went there, and I was with a birdwatching guide, uh, but he helped me sort of, well, we were looking for bats together, none of us knew exactly what we had to do, but yeah. And uh, I recorded and saw uh, a large rhinolophid, um, and there's, there is no large rhinolophid in that area. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's very likely to be a new species. Wow. And you're keen to get other young people involved in bat conservation. How do we go about doing that? And what do we do to keep their interest in nature sparked? So, that's a very tricky one. And um, doing my entire involvement in uh, sort of nature conservation NGOs, I, I always try maybe not represent youth, but at least give a different point of view on things. And it's, it's, it's a question I still don't really have a proper answer to, but um, definitely you don't go about getting youth, uh, young people into conservation like you do older people. It mm. just, we're not interested in the same things, or we don't see things the same, the same way. Um, and I also think that usually the approach that's used to get people into conservation show you how bad things are. But at least I feel like that's all we're getting. Um, we're getting a lot of negative views. I have a lot of older friends who keep telling me how things got worse and worse. But I, I find that a bit depressing. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it can give you the feeling that, you know, it's, it's pointless. Uh, there's no point in getting into conservation. It's too late. But actually it's not. So what I want to do is also show like how you can have some fun with bats, basically, which is what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think that appears a lot more to young conservationists. Now, I'm not saying everyone should just travel the world to see bats. That just <laughs> makes no sense. But at least um, also I want to show that like it's possible to see bats even when you're not an academic. So a lot of the bat conservation, bat research is limited to academics. Mm. There aren't many people, there aren't bat watchers like there are bird watchers. And I think that's what we need to get people into bat conservation. It's just 
show that it's, it's open to everyone. And what are the challenges in getting the younger generation interested? I'd say specifically for bat conservation and bat research, it's usually a financial issue. Yeah. Because it requires a fair bit of equipment. Um, and sometimes, it, well, some countries licenses and stuff. So training is also fairly expensive. Um, and even just traveling, even in your local area can be expensive because it's at night, so you can't rely on public transport. So it, it requires a, a larger budget than, let's say, bird watching, uh, where the main expense is binoculars, but you keep them for a long time. Yeah. Electronics, well, they break. Um, that bat recorders have become cheaper and cheaper, and I think it's, that trend's going to go, carry on, but they're still going to be sort of like an entry fee into sure. bat conservation and bat research. So what's next for you after the big bat year? What are you plan on doing after you've finished? That's a very good question. I keep asking myself. <laughs> um, so, well, I have a few ideas. So I obviously want to write a book about my journey, mm -hmm. uh, not just about the bats I saw, but also what it's like to travel for bats, um, cultural experiences I've had, that kind of things. Um, and then there are also two projects I want to work on. One is to um, create a open access database of bat calls around the world, which doesn't exist currently. Mm -hmm. It's all sort of not behind paywalls like scientific papers, but still it's not easy, easily accessible. Uh, and I also want to uh, sort of create a community of young people who are into bat conservation because I've met a few of them and every time I realise that we are facing pretty much the same problems of beginning, beginningers of academia stress or just how do I get the equipment relatively cheap or even the techniques, just bat recording, how to get reference calls, how to miss net, those techniques don't well, they're the same, no matter which bats you have. Yeah. So there's a lot that can be exchanged between all those people. And yeah, I think that would be a valuable to bat conservation. How much longer is left of the big bat year so far? So we're about halfway because it's an entire calendar year. So I've done Oceania, Asia and North America. And where's next after the UK for you? So Madagascar, that would be the first uh, leg of my African journey. And then I will be doing a few places in Europe and the Middle East and then South America. And there's going to be a lot of listeners at home who are very jealous of what you're doing. Yes. If people want to follow your journey, where can they find out more information about you online? The easiest if you want regular updates is Instagram and Facebook. It's Nisbuya for both. But then I also have a website, which is bigbatyear.com. And on there, I try to publish um, reports of my trips and then sometimes um, blog posts on on other things so I made one recently on the diversity of echolocation that many people in Europe may not be aware of they know the classic calls of the European bats but there's a lot of crazy stuff going on elsewhere <laughs> and I thought we'd just show it and uh, try to explain why there's crazy stuff and that kind of things. and finally something we're asking our guests on Bat Chat is which three words would you use to describe the bat conservation movement so Nils Bouillard what are your three words I'd say it's challenging, definitely. It's also a bit unusual. Hmm. It's a bit off the beaten track. Um, but it's also definitely rewarding because it's challenging, probably. Great stuff. Nils, thank you very much.
Welcome. And since that interview, Nils has been continuing his big bat year adventure and is currently up to 319 species with four countries left to go. You can track Nils's progress on his website, bigbatyear.com, or click the link in the show notes. And that's it for this edition. Next time, we're taking a visit to Woodchester Mansion, which is home to the world's longest running study of a mammal species by a single person. I'm Steve Rowe, and this has been Bat Chat. Now, lots of you have seen me in branded t-shirts and hoodies with the Batchat logo on, and you've all been asking me when they'll be available. Well, we're thrilled to let you know that a whole range of Batchat clothing and tote bags is now available for you on our T-Mail store. The link's in the show notes. Whether you're a long-time supporter or a new member of the Batchat family, we can't wait for you to share your photos of you wearing our merch on social media. Be sure to tag the Bat Conservation Trust in your posts. If you're listening to Batchat on Google Podcasts, we wanted to let you know that Google have announced they plan to discontinue their app later this year, so we recommend making the switch to an alternative podcast app, and we've put some links in the show notes to alternative apps that you can follow Batchat on so that you don't miss any future episodes.